you please open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 18. That's where we're going to be this morning. I'm just so thankful to be able to dig into the truth with you this morning. Last time we were in this chapter, we looked at the beauty that we who are in Christ, that, that we are His children, that we are saved and secure in the hands of Christ. The Holy Spirit transforms our hearts and we cry out, Abba, Father, and, and that if we have been born again, you can rest assured that you are His children. And if His children, then we are heirs. If we are heirs, then we're heirs with Christ. And we look forward to the room that He is preparing for us. And we look forward to beholding His glory forever. And that we have glorious, eternal hope. We have glorious, eternal hope. Why? All due to Christ. So before we get into our passage, I want to pray with you. And uh, when we pray, I'm, I'm going to read through uh, Psalm 13. So if you'll pray with me. How long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from us? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Father, we just we thank you so much that that you have saved us, that you've given us grace upon grace upon grace, and that you've given us your truth and your word is truth to grow in and to feast on daily. Help us, Lord, to seek to glorify you in all that we do, whether in word or in deed or our thoughts. And if we do anything good, if we do anything good, let us rejoice and boast and do it all for your glory alone. Continue to sanctify us and help us in our weaknesses to share the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Lord, help our unbelief, strengthen our faith. And if there's someone here this morning that is not yet trusted in you, I pray that you would pierce their heart, help their unbelief, help them to see you, Lord Jesus, as Savior and Lord and we pray this in Jesus' name that has power and authority. Amen. Amen. So the, the famous preacher, uh, D.L. Moody, he, uh, he, he told a story. And, and in this story, he talked about this woman. And, and this Christian woman, she was always bright. She was always cheerful. She was always optimistic, even though that she was confined to her room because of, uh, of her illness. And she lived up in this attic uh, apartment on the fifth floor of an old rundown building. And a friend decided to visit her one day and, and she brought along this other woman with her. And this person was, uh, she had great wealth. And so since there was no elevator, the two ladies, they began the long climb upward. And when they reached the second floor, the, the wealthy woman commented, what a dark and filthy place this is. And her friend replied, it's better higher up. And when they arrived at the third landing, the remark was made, oh, things look even worse here. 
Again, the reply to her was, hold on, it's, it's better higher up. So finally, the two women, they reached the attic level where they found the, the bedridden saint of God. And there was a smile on this woman's face and she radiated the joy that filled her heart. Although the room was clean and flowers were on the windowsill, the wealthy visitor could not get over the stark surroundings in which this woman lived. She, she blurted out, it, it must be very, very difficult for you to be here like this. And without a moment's hesitation, the shut-in saint responded, it's better higher up. And she was not looking at temporal things. She had the eye of faith fixed on the eternal. She found the secret of true satisfaction and true contentment. So I want, to, I want you to open up your Bible now to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to look at verse 18. And we're going to read down to 25. We're just going to read the whole passage in full to start. The Apostle Paul, he said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. We wait with patience. I'd like to reread verse 18 real quick. Look at it again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So there's no escaping it. There's no escaping it. We all will go through trials. We all will go through suffering at some point in our lives. The Son of Man, the Son of God, He suffered, and we will too. And we live in a creation that is so broken. It's so fallen due to sin. So that's why we see death. That's why we see suffering, pain, trauma, etc. So for those of you who are in a trial right now, I hope these passages encourage you this morning. And I hope that they encourage you to always remember the eternal hope that you have to replace the doubts with truth. And for those of you who are not going through a certain trial right now, to have these truths, therefore, that you can be better rooted and that you can be preparing your shelter for when storms do come because they will at some point in your life. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9, 
Peter said, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, an inheritance that's undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And lastly, James, James said in James 1, 2 to 4, to count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So no matter the suffering, no matter the trials we face, we must, and I mean we must, remind ourselves daily to keep an eternal perspective. So I want to share with you this quote from this movie. I was randomly, uh, one night, I've been kind of dealing with this, uh, a little illness right now, but, so I've had a lot of free time to, to kind of watch some movies and reflect, <laughs> so, a lot of time alone, but um, I found this movie, and it's called, I don't know if any of you have seen it, it's called Good Will Hunting, and it has uh, Matt Damon in it, and uh, the late, great Robin Williams, um, and so Matt Damon, he plays... Will Hunting, who's this insecure, arrogant, really, really smart kid who has so much book knowledge, yet he's condescending. He lacks compassion and his brain would cause him to get into so much trouble because he was so smart that he could talk his way out of anything. It was all a facade that he used to protect himself from hurt because he was an abused orphan. He didn't want to open up to anybody. So Robin Williams, he played this character known as uh, Sean McGuire. And Sean McGuire ended up being Will's counselor. So Sean, he would, he would have so much grace on Will, considering that Will went to all these other counselors and they're like, we can't deal with this guy. This guy's nuts. We can't deal with him. And so finally, after all this grace, Will started poking at him, poking at Sean. And he had this painting of a sailor and this sailor, it was in this boat, and this boat was in this storm. And so uh, Will saw the painting, and he claimed, hmm, okay. So this storm is just you trying to get through life after your wife left you. And he kept poking that, no, your wife left you, didn't she? She left you because you're a bum, basically. And so finally, Sean, who was this well, you know, this soft-spoken reserved man he snapped he grabbed will by the throat and said don't you ever talk about my wife again she didn't leave sean but she passed away from cancer eventually 
the two meet up again, and they met at this park, and they, uh, there was all these uh, ducks, and there was this pond, and they were just discussing loss. Sean tells Will, um, he starts talking to him about love, and he says, and you wouldn't know what it's like to be her angel and to have that love for her, to, to be there forever, to be there through anything, to be there through cancer. You wouldn't know about sleeping, sitting up in a hotel room for two months, holding her hand because the doctors could see in your eyes that the term visiting hours does not apply to you. You don't know about real loss because that only occurs when you love something more than you love yourself. So have any of you ever loved anybody that way? Have you ever been loved that way? Romans 5, 3 to 8, Paul said, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So some people think that they're not good enough for God's love. They think that, um, that they're not good enough for God's love and, uh, and, and that, that somehow they have to clean up themselves. And I hate to break it to you. No one is good enough for God's love. And these people, they, they'll hate themselves and they think their sins are too much for the cross And some people think, and they are even encouraged by people in the evangelical church, that you have to love yourself before you can be loved, which is this weird philosophy that it's not biblical and it's not true. So you're claiming then that you have to love yourself, okay, before you can receive love, compared to what God's word says. So your opinion then matters more than what God says. You value your truth over the truth of God's word. Your heart is wicked. Your mind's depraved outside of Christ. Trust in what God has done for you and abide in his truth over your own man-made truth and opinions. I want to encourage you to do that. It's not about this weird, you know, mystic, I'm looking deep within myself because all you're going to find if you look within yourself is death. You need the Savior. You need saving And you need to be made alive. Yet there's the other side of the coin that people love themselves. People love themselves. And it comes naturally. It really does due to sin nature. 2 Timothy 3, 2-5. Paul, he said, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And if that doesn't describe our nation, I don't know what does. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, 
Avoid such people. So the grace and the mercy and the love of God amazes me. (laughs) It's not about you looking within yourself to find something. The grace and love of God amazes me because in spite of our wretched sinfulness and our death in sin, God has still displayed his love for you in taking on human form. And Jesus fulfilled the law perfectly to the T. He purchased you at the cross by spilling his blood, giving his life sacrificially. He drank the cup of wrath. It is finished. And by his wounds, you were healed. And three days later, he conquered death and rose again. Therefore, we have hope. We have hope that one day, too, that we will be given resurrected bodies to dwell with Christ, to enjoy him forever as his chosen and beloved bride that God the Father is giving to the Son. We are the bride awaiting the groom. 1 John 4, 9-10 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So you may be questioning then, well, why suffering then? Why suffering? That's the question. I want to share with you, there's five R's that I want you to remember of why suffering. And they're, uh, they're made by John Piper. And I think that they, they'll really help you out in, um, if you're going through a certain trial. So why suffering? Number one, the first star we're going to look at, repentance. Suffering is a call for us and others to turn from treasuring anything on earth above God. Luke 13, 4 to 5. Or, though, or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Number two, so we see repentance. Now we, it causes reliance. Suffering causes reliance. Suffering is a call to trust God and not the life-sustaining props of this world. 2 Corinthians 1, 8-9, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Number three, the third R, righteousness. Suffering is the discipline of our loving Heavenly Father so that we come to share His righteousness and holiness. Hebrews 12, 6 and 10 through 11 says, The Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. And He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I'm thankful that my parents disciplined me (laughs) because discipline by your parents, that shows that they love you. They want you to stay on the right path, to seek righteousness. 
The lazy parent will not discipline whatsoever. There's no care at all. Number four, reward. Suffering is working for us a great reward in heaven that will make up for every loss here a thousandfold. 2 Corinthians 4.17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Number five, reminder. Reminder, suffering reminds us that God sent his son into the world to suffer so that our suffering would not be God's condemnation, but his purification. Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings. So it's understandable that the Christian heart during pain and during suffering, and even people that aren't Christians during suffering, they cry out, why? Why? You know, if we're all here by accident, why, does, why, why is there suffering then if it's all by accident? doesn't really make sense. Why do we consider anything good or anything bad if we're all here by accident? I'm just saying. There's something to ponder a little bit. So it's understandable that we would cry out why. Since we don't know most of the micro reasons for our suffering. Why now, Lord? Why this way? Why this long? And it's good to lament. David lamented. But don't, do not let the ignorance of the micro-reasons cause you to overlook the massive help God gives in his word by telling us his macro-purposes for us. James 5.11 says, You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And if you read through the Old Testament and the New Testament, once again, you will always be reminded that God is the promise keeper. Bible reference commentary, they stated, given that life is full of such enormous, enormous amounts of suffering, God's glory must be incomprehensibly wonderful. This in no way minimizes our pain. It in no way minimizes our suffering. On the contrary, it acknowledges it, yet while keeping an eternal perspective. You don't just get over it, but you get through it. And you get through it by the grace of God. I agree, we must, we must always keep an eternal perspective no matter the trials and suffering we face because of the eternal hope that we have in Christ. We must remember what is true even during the suffering. Job, for example, he lost everything. Job lost his family. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. And it even got so bad that his wife went up to him. And because remember, she too lost all of those things as well. And she told him in a moment of weakness, curse God and die. Yet Job said, and I think this is what we should say too in suffering. Job said in Job 1.21, and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is an example of a man who kept an eternal perspective. But did that mean that he was all smiley and upbeat when he had to cut the, the sores on his body and he was crying out in pain? Did that mean that he enjoyed it? Did that mean that he was immune to the pain, to the doubt, the anger and the suffering? No. 
But what did he do during it? He worshipped. He worshipped. He kept his eyes on the cross. He kept his eyes on an eternal perspective. And he worshipped in the storm. And he had that shelter. Okay? So let us, like that story in the beginning of the bedridden saint, we must remind ourselves it's better to hire up and to continue to press on, looking to Jesus, the author, perfecter, and finisher of our faith. Now let's look at verses 19 to 21 in our passage in Romans 8, which says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So believers in Christ were all awaiting his return. And we long We long and groan for the end of death, suffering, and pain. We long for all things to be made new. We long for new creation. We long for things to be like they were in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. What is amazing is that in these verses, we see that we are not the only ones awaiting for all things to be made new. But the creation itself eagerly longs for it. And the creation's been affected by the fall. How do we know this? Genesis chapter 3, all about the fall. Verse 18 to 19, it says, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. This is the word of the Lord. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The fall affected everything. It affected man's right standing with God. Instead of righteousness and being alive, we're dead. We're dead. We're sinners. Yet praise God for grace. Praise God for saving us through Christ. The fall, it affected our fellowship with God. Creation in the beginning, it was good. As found in Genesis 1.31. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. Yet due to the fall, man lost his innocence. Adam and Eve were full of shame before God as a consequence of their disobedience. I always find it interesting, um, the story of uh, Pilate. After uh, he, he had Jesus sentenced to be crucified, which he knew was wrong. Yet he cared more about man's opinion than what doing what's right. It was said that he could not stop washing his hands the whole time because he felt this guilt. He would always wash his hands to the point where eventually he went insane. So we see the shame because of sin and the the breaking of fellowship with man and God And also with the fall, the creation itself was broken, which is why we see disease. This is why we see cancer. This is why we see natural disasters, a tornado ripping through a town, a hurricane um, completely destroying um, the east or west coast. Because of one man's trespass, one man's sin, 
All have fallen short of the glory of God and all are sinners. I love how Simon Turpin, he worded this. He said, because of man's disobedience toward his creator, death and suffering entered into the world. But it is by the death, suffering and resurrection of his son that we can gain salvation so that we are no longer condemned to live forever in a fallen world. So do you want another example of how much the curse has affected creation? As beautiful as the ocean, as beautiful as the mountains, stars, and the sunset, I want to share to you uh, this quote by J. Vernon McGee. J. Vernon McGee, he said with his southern accent, the curse of sin came upon man in Adam's disobedience. But the physical world came under the curse. McGee then said he loves going to Hawaii, which is one of the most beautiful places on the planet and one of the most delightful places that he would go and visit. Yet on a golf course in this paradise on earth, lo and behold, he found thorns. He found thorns. He said he knocked the ball into the rough and there were so many thorns that he couldn't believe it. He had a pair of shoes that had thorns in them as uh, in them long afterwards. And he, and he couldn't get all the thorns out because yet even in that paradise, what we consider to be paradise, there are still thorns. There is a curse on creation. We don't know what it's like to be without death, to be without sin, to be in a world that is completely perfect in union with God. So I think it could be kind of hard for us to comprehend what the new heaven and new earth are going to look like, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. So we've talked about um, how the fall has affected the creation regarding the earth. And you turn on Animal Planet, uh, (laughs) what do you see? You know, you see this Komodo dragon going over and eating a pregnant wildebeest. Yet I thought that animals... You know, because people will claim that animals, they take care of their young. They, they have these morals like us, like they're like there's, you know, that they have a, a, a meter of right and wrong. Well, uh, explain that to me. <laughs> we differ from animals because why we differ from animals because no animal was made in the image of God. You are unique in that. You are special in that you were made in the image of God. That's beautiful. So if, okay, if we're made of the image of God, then shouldn't we value and cherish life? Shouldn't it be important to us? Yet we see war plaguing the world. Ray Comfort, he stated, war, W-A-R, we are right. The struggle for power has stemmed from the beginning. Now, don't think that I'm up here that I'm going to be telling you to be a pacifist. Um, Because there are cases of just war. A just war is a defensive war, not a war of aggression where there's nothing more than murder on a grand scale for gain of power. If you want to see how much the fall has plagued mankind, all you need to do is watch the news for five minutes. Five minutes. And you'll see why do things happen like this shooting that happened in Maine recently. Why is there people like a Ted Bundy running around? Why do things like this happen? Why is there theft? Why is there lying? Why is there adultery, sexual immorality, sexual confusion, greed, murder, rape, mocking of God? Many will say then, because there's suffering, that proves there is no God. He's apathetic. He's a tyrant. 
So did God mess up his creation then? Sadly, many reject God or any thought of God because of his suffering. Suff- because of suffering. Suffering, suffering's existence instead should be another primary reason we believe. The problem is that when we go through suffering, instead of seeking Christ as our shelter, unfortunately, we can use sin to cope with our pain. For example, we're like a child whose unsatiable appetite for chocolate has caused his face to break out with ugly sores. He looks in the mirror and he sees a sight that makes him depressed. But instead of giving up his beloved chocolate, he then consoles himself by stuffing more into his mouth. Yet the source of his pleasure is actually the cause of his suffering. The whole face of the earth is full of these ugly sores caused by sin. Instead of continuing to consume the very thing that is killing you, whether it's drugs or alcohol or whatever that may be to distract yourself, food, etc., let us seek Christ and ask him to change our appetites. Let's read verse 22 to 25 in our passage now. Paul said, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. So the creation, like the, ch- like the children of God, longs and awaits creation. And we long and await freedom from sin. We long for the day, for death, pain, and suffering to be over. And the creation groans and awaits to be made back to the state that it was before sin broke everything. So even though the pain is excruciating, I think that all you mothers in here can relate to this. Childbirth, it may have caused you physical agony. I know it caused my mother. I mean, I was a C-section. So, uh, and my mother at one point, uh, if I remember right, she even died and was resuscitated. And even at one point, if I, believe, I think I died at some point because I had the umbilical cord wrapped around my neck, yet... I lived somehow by the grace of God. Um, So we can see that the pregnancy can cause physical agony and pain. Yet my question to every mother in here, was it worth it? Was it worth it? To behold your new child, to behold your baby, to hold them in your arms and to behold the child that, that God knit together in your room staring back at you. Was it worth it? I believe that every one of you would answer that it was. Jesus said, and I hope this encourages you, in John 16, 21 to 24, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. 
In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly. And when he says truly, truly, this means to listen. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So no one, I don't think, if you're in your right mind, no one wants to endure suffering, loss, trials, or pain. I know that I don't want to. I don't want to endure any more of it. But it's bound to happen because we live in a creation that's broken and sin runs rampant 24-7. You deal with temptation from the demonic. You deal with temptation from yourself. And you deal with temptation with other people's sin or maybe they sin against you. We must remember what gets us through the pain to not lose heart or eternal hope. Why? Jesus said of this that we get to look forward to. John 16, I have said these things to you that in me, in Christ, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So you get to look forward to a whole lot, okay? You get to look forward to a redeemed body, just like Christ, we will be given the redemption and resurrection of our bodies. The blind will be able to see, the deaf will be able to hear, the paralyzed will walk, those bedridden with diseases and disabilities will be fully healed, those who suffer from mental illness will be freed of it, and you will be forever rejoicing and beholding our Savior's glory, praising Him, holy, holy, holy. In Revelation 1.8, Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So based off verses 24 to 25 of Romans 8, we have hope. Stay with me. We're about to close. For in this hope, we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with Patience. So John Stott, John Stott stated, we are to wait neither so eagerly that that we lose our patience, that we lose heart, nor so patiently that we lose our expectation. The creation groans, we groan, and even God groans based off verse 26, which we will look at another time. So let us trust our sovereign God who has loved us, forgiven us, chosen us, justifies us, sanctifies us, and will one day glorify us. One day we will return to a restored Eden. All things will be made new and it will be good. S. Michael Hoodman, he said, in the new heaven and new earth, scripture says there are seven things notable for their absence. Seven things that are no more. There's going to be no more sea based off Revelation 21.1. No more death. Uh, I'm not going to name off all these scriptures, but they're all in Revelation 21 and 22. So there's no more sea, no more death, no more mourning, no more weeping, no more pain, no more curse, no more night. Revelation 21.1-4, the apostle John said that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth, they passed away and the sea was no more. 
I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things that passed away. And this event comes after the tribulation, after the Lord's second coming, after the millennial kingdom, after the final rebellion after the final judgment of Satan and after the great white throne judgment. Let us remember to keep an eternal perspective and to wait eagerly, yet also patiently. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you and we thank you that that you have saved us. We thank you that you bore our sins on the cross and Lord that you made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, that that you have forgiven us, that you have imputed to us your righteousness when all we give to you is our filth and our sin, that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. Yet through you, Christ Jesus, that you are rich in mercy and that you've made us alive in Christ And that we have hope that is eternal. Help us to chew on this and to remember it even during uh, the pain and the suffering that we may go through. Come soon, Lord Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.